Thank you for choosing Raising Foodies, the Babies podcast series launched in 2022. At Babies, we believe the weaning journey for your little ones should be fun and enjoyable to encourage them to have a positive relationship with food. We produce food for babies and our ingredients are 100% organic with no added salt, sugar or preservatives. Our range is veg led with a variety of fantastic flavours. Available direct from our website or selected supermarkets. Hello and welcome to Raising Foodies, a podcast from babies and myself, Catherine Lipp, registered nutritionist and specialist in infant and early childhood nutrition. This podcast is here to provide you with evidence-based weaning advice and offer a helping hand to any parent who is embarking on the wonderful weaning journey. I'm delighted to be joined by special guest Sammy Davies from Happy Hearts First Aid. Now that we are in the heart of summer, we wanted to discuss some top tips for summer safety and there's no one better to ask than Sammy. Sammy has been empowering parents by teaching them life-saving skills for the past six years. Before having children herself, she worked as a registered nurse and a nurse teacher in Australia. And soon after becoming a parent and making the move to the UK, she realised that her loved ones were not so well equipped with the skills that they needed to care for her children in case of a medical emergency. Sharing these life-saving skills with the people around her became her focus and she went on to start her own business teaching parents friendly first stage. Over the years she has helped hundreds of parents and grandparents to know what to do if an accident did occur to their little ones. She offers fear-free baby and child first aid sessions and has online learning options for those wanting to learn from home. Sammy's Instagram account is also full of tips and tricks to help us with all things safety and she sells some brilliant ouch pouches which are a fab first aid kit for your buggy or your backpack. Welcome Sammy. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. You were joining us at a very topical time because we are in the height of summer and there we've got lots of questions for you all about summer safety for uh, little ones. So our first question from one of our followers is, in hot temperatures, how can I keep my baby's room cool so that they can sleep? And I'm sure this is something that we've all had to grapple with as parents when it's super hot and we're not necessarily so used to it. We're not equipped with air conditioning in most of our houses. So it can be really hard to know, you know what is the right temperature for our babies to sleep at and how can we make sure that they are cool enough that they can get some decent sleep? This one really resonates with me because my first was born in Australia and the week that he was born, it was over 40 degrees every single day. And I just remember thinking to myself as a new mum, what am I going to do? How am I going to manage this? And like you said, the houses in this country, they're not built for the heat. So they're just like pizza ovens, aren't they? And they stay warm and that this is just something that can really concern parents but the great news is there's lots of things that we can do to try to keep the rooms nice and cool we know that an ideal temperature for a bedroom for a baby's room should be between 16 and 20 degrees but even just in that last little heat wave we had it's probably that temperature already in the morning wasn't it so if, you know 
So it can be quite confronting for parents. But if you can keep those curtains drawn on a day that, that you know it's going to be a really warm day, that's going to be such a good start. You know, opening the window early in the morning to let some freshness through and then closing it once that wind turns warmer. But keeping the curtains drawn is just going to be a really, really good head start. And when I drive out in those hot mornings, I see everyone's curtains are all open because everyone loves opening up their curtains in the morning, don't they? But it's really, that's the number one thing you can do, keep the curtains drawn. Even just adding to that, there's lots of brands on the market, but essentially those blackout blinds, some of them you can take with you if you go travelling. Some of them have got those suction cup caps on the back of it. If you can stick one of those up on those really, really hot days, that in combination with keeping the curtains drawn, again, that's going to be a really nice way of keeping the room nice and dark. So I've got a couple of those blinds and I just move them around the house wherever the sun's kind of shining in. It's a really, really good tip. So they're not just for nighttime. Um, equally, if you've got one of those things in the room that tells how hot the temperature is, you know, most parents will go out and buy one of those a room temperature thing and some of them will have the colour on them. And if the room gets too hot, they're turning kind of bright red. And that is just such a visual reminder for us. Like, oh, my goodness, this room is so hot. We don't need that extra layer of stress. Okay, we know that the room is hot. So my advice to parents would be just to turn off the colour changing kind of bit of it because it's just one less thing to have to worry about you know that the room is hot just turn off that redness that's always staring at you so I would suggest that and then obviously you know having a fan in the room is a great idea we just want to make sure it's not blowing directly on the baby to make them too cold and a nice cool bath before bed not too cold just not just cool enough that's you know going to decrease and keep them a bit cooler uh, and of course, you know, if they're just sleeping in a nappy or some a really kind of one layer of a cotton kind of gross suit, that'd be perfect as well. Okay, fab. Some really good tips there. And it, it's hard, isn't it? It's a minefield, you know, to remember those numbers about what temperature the room should be and, you know, what layers we should be putting on them, should what they should be wearing. There's there's a lot to take on board, isn't there? There is. But it's, it, and again, it's another layer, isn't it? Another layer of stress for us. Essentially, it's going to be one more layer than, than we wear you know especially winter that's a really good rule one extra layer than what we've got on but when it's really warm if you think about it you know most of those nights we're probably just sleeping in minimal clothing so they could just be in a nappy or just one layer as well so they definitely don't need any of their bedding or anything like that yeah super so reassuring thank you sammy um, and so that's that's the question about kind of the, the nighttime and the sleep. Um, we've got another really great question about sun exposure and heat during the daytime. So how much sun exposure should babies have? And we're thinking about, I think this question came from a parent who's got a six month old. So are there any guidelines about sun exposure and how careful we should be times of the day that we should avoid going out at all with our babies? What's your advice around that? Well, the, the guidance is pretty clear for babies less than six months old they say no direct sunlight exposure so you don't want to be taking them out to the sun at all and the reason the reason for that is is that it's so clear cut isn't it but the reason is is that their skin just doesn't have the appropriate amounts of melatonin in it which provides us that protection against the sun 
So that's why under six months old, no direct sunlight exposure at all. And then after that, of course, we know between 11 and 3, you know, that's where the, the UV is at its greatest. So we're staying in the shade during those times, always keeping them covered up as much as possible, you know, nice wide brim hat of sun creams. Um, and definitely if they're in the push chair or the buggy, we're making sure we're using a parasol rather than, you know, cloth covering over, over the pram as well. So that's a really important one because it's going to allow for some kind of generation of some winds coming through and not get too hot in, in that buggy. So no direct sunlight under the age of six months old and then, you know, making sure that they're not nice and covered up there afterwards. Super. And so going back to that point about the buggies, because you often see, and I think, you know, they're useful for napping, that they're sort of the blackout, the snooze shades that you can get for the yes. buggies because it, it avoids some of that sunlight when babies are trying to nap. What's your thoughts or advice around those uh, snooze shades in hot weather? I never had them for my kids. Um, probably it just, just wasn't something that was on my radar. Um, but I... I wouldn't want to be quoted on this, but I'm pretty sure that they're made from a material that allows for some breeze to come through. Um, so I, I would want to double check that, but I'm, but I'm pretty sure from a safety perspective, they're okay. I mean, they'd have to be, that's what they're designed for. Definitely like the, you know, a cloth or a blanket over, over the buggies, just going to make that far too warm inside there for them. Yeah. yeah and towels and things like that are really going to retain the heat, aren't they? Okay. So, making sure it's something that's that's appropriate brilliant so we've also got a question about sun cream and what sun cream would you recommend for babies and this question came from a parent with a 10 month old so I don't know if there are sort of specific recommendations about the types of sun cream that we should be putting on babies of different ages and how much have you got any advice around that for us Sammy? I think as long as you're buying one that's geared towards babies and children, and I'll say that quite obviously on the sun cream itself, and then you want to get something that's at least providing a 50 plus kind of protection. So we've always used Child's Farm as that's kind of geared towards sensitive skin. So that's always been a nice one for our family. Um, but what you can do is before you're kind of, you know, anticipating needing to use it lots, you can just do a little test patch your baby or on your child just to make sure that they're not overly sensitive to it so just the day before just you know shove a bit kind of like the size of a 50p coin on their skin somewhere and, and see how they react so that's a good tip but generally speaking you know we know that we need to use more than we anticipate they say for a baby or for a child's face neck and arms would need to use two teaspoons worth so that's probably you know well, it's definitely more than I would have used before I had known that um so we're really using that sun cream to provide a barrier so that's why we do need to always use more than we think if we were covering their whole body it would be more like two tablespoons worth of sun cream so always use more than you think and also um there, there's a, a best before date for sun creams so they say most of them will say on the back 12 months after it's been opened they say it's not as effective um, if it's used after that okay so if you've got the sun cream that's kind of hanging around from that troop and grease before you had kids you know <laughs> and it's got the sand on the top and it's kind of like orange now um chances are I mean it's probably going to provide some protection but it won't be as effective as a brand new bottle or you know something that's been opened within the last 12 months so I always just write the date when I've opened it on that sun cream so I know next year just chuck it out get a new one that's a great tip. Yeah, I've always I think I've always paid attention to the expiry dates, but I haven't necessarily written on it when I've opened it. So that's a really good tip. Yeah, fab. And then in terms of SPF, we're looking at sort of quite high SPF for kids, I presume. 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, above 50 or 50, you know, I think the levels you can get is, is 30 or 50. I mean, you just go for, for, for that 50. Yeah, the highest one possible. Yeah, really, really give them some protection. And our next question is about the best way to treat wasp or bee stings in babies. So this is something we all dread, you know, when toddlers or little ones are plodding around the garden and they step on a bee or a wasp or they get stung. What should we do? I think I would probably just panic, (laughs) which is not the right thing to do. So what's your advice in this situation, Sammy? I think like anything with our kids, we need to be really aware of what we're saying and what we're doing and try not to panic them too much. You know, we know that they're always listening to what we're saying. So if we're if we're one of those flappers who are really anxious about bees, we're going to, you know, p- potentially pass that to them. So try ourselves to stay nice and calm as, as much as possible. But if someone does get that sting in them, um, you know, traditionally people want to grab a pair of te- tweezers and squeeze that out. But we know that if uh, if in the act of using the tweezers, you'll squeeze out any more venom into the wound. So that's why we say grab a flat card, something like a library card or a credit card, and just use the, the straight edge of that to push the sting out. And then that way you're not creating any more um, exposure to the venom. So use your card, push it out. And then after that, you'd want to wash the area with some soap and water just to make sure that you've really cleansed that area and there's there's nothing nasty hanging around. If it's still painful, and sometimes they can get, you know, quite a localised kind of swelling, then you can just use a cold compress, you know, whatever you've got in the freezer, always wrapped up in a tea towel so it's not too cold, and just hold that at the site and that will really comfort that and, 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 and provide some pain relief. So that should be kind of as much as it gets. But obviously, you know, parents, are worried about allergies and about anaphylaxis of course they are we, you know we've all got a on, on our shoulders it's something that's always in our in our minds um but the good news is you're less likely to have an allergy to a bee or a wasp sting if it's just one sting if it's kind of multiple stings all at once that's when we're looking at the research that could be more likely to have some type of reaction to it um but hopefully I, i'm thinking in kind of the situations for parents and young children that's probably not the case um, but of course, any signs of allergy, you know, which would be a kind of a local response with histamine being released, kind of hives or sneezing, watery eyes. Again, we want to make sure we remove the trigger. So we're removing that sting and really washing the area and keeping a close eye on the child. With an anaphylaxis, that's when things are much, much different. And we know that that's a life-threatening emergency. We'd look at any problems with the airway, with breathing or with circulation. If there's anything there, of course, we're going to call 999 and say the word anaphylaxis. And we know that the call handler's trained to listen for that word and they'll send help really, really quickly. But just to reassure parents that that's not really a very common situation, especially for the first time someone's stung. But of course, like anything, as you know, it's important to be aware of allergies and to look out for these types of these types of symptoms. Brilliant. Thank you, Sammy. That's yeah, that's great advice and, and really reassuring. It's good it's good to be equipped with all of this information, isn't it? So we just feel a bit more empowered and confident, I think. And you know, I guess that's what that's what you do for parents. You make them feel that's more confident. It. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I think it's, you know, some people find it's a fine line between knowing too much. And, and But in my mind, you know, knowledge is power. And if you don't know this stuff and you don't know what to do, these things sort of crop up. So it's just about having that knowledge and storing it somewhere in your brain. 
and with with bee stings as well you know if, if you are really worried there are things there's lots of things that we can do like a dress like I'm wearing today something really bright if I was sitting outside that wouldn't be attracting bees and wasps you know obviously you know putting shoes on little ones as well that will help so there is lots of preventive stuff that we can do but it is also kind of part of childhood isn't it part of growing up so it, it's just about kind of minimizing risk as much as we can within reason absolutely yeah brilliant great advice thank you um and we have a question around kind of paddling pool safety and pool safety and I saw a brilliant post that you did on Instagram recently about this so can you share with us some of your top tips for kind of safety around the paddling pool or the swimming pool in particular if we're on holiday um because I know you have got some great advice around this that parents should be aware of probably well number one thing which I never thought I'd have to say in this country but you know when you on a hot day if your hose your hose pipe's laying there in the sun that first initial bit of water that when after you turn the tap on which the kids are the most excited aren't they just when you're turning it on so they're often standing there kind of in anticipation if that hose pipe's been in the sun whatever water is in that hose will be really 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 hot so it's just and there's been stories in the past about children being sculled by that initial bit of water so just make sure you're running it to the side to get rid of that really really hot bit of water and then the kids can play with it after that so that's something to bear in mind but we know with paddling pools you know kind of just up to the belly button is a perfect depth and like anything whenever there's water involved we always need to make sure we're having constant supervision so staying out there with them the whole time with the paddling pool once we've finished with it for the day we're going to turn it upside down give, give the grass a bit of a water you know it needs it doesn't it so turn it upside down and drain all the water out because you don't want there to be you know one occasion where someone decides to have a bit of a wander in the night and finds themselves in the paddling pool so best just to minimize risk as much as possible with that so turn up turn the paddling pool upside down and absolutely when it comes to swimming pools and especially with older children or if you're out on holiday and there's a swimming pool at the hotel we know that there's certain colors that are easier to see under the water so anything bright is obviously going to be much better than a lot of those kind of pale um, swimming costumes that we see. Some of those really lovely ones that you can buy in the shops. They are lovely, but they're, they're not the best thing to wear around water because under the water, they're very difficult colours to see. And, you know, touching wood with any of this stuff, of course, but bright colours and in particular neon colours are much, much easier to see underneath the water. So big brands, they will sell the kind of these big, bright colour swimsuits and they're the ones to go for because they're just much easier to see. As a general rule, dressing your kids on ne in neon is, is a wonderful thing, especially if it's a busy place because you can very easily see and spot your children. But definitely when it comes to water, bright is best. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Sammy. And we have another question about staying hydrated. So um, this is from a follower who says her baby isn't taking much water or breast milk in the heat. So any advice there in terms of keeping little one hydrated what are the signs of dehydration as well that we should be looking out for if we are worried that our little ones aren't drinking enough in hot weather 
I mean, it sounds like this particular little baby is is um, taking breast milk. So we shouldn't, you know, the, the, our bodies are so wonderful, aren't they? That we'll provide more of a water amount in in that milk to keep them nice and hyd- hydrated. Um, but definitely, if they're kind of at the age where they're eating solid foods, you could offer some water in a sippy cup or foods that have got more of a water, uh, you know, amount in them, like watermelon or cucumber from the fridge. That'd be nice and cooling. But I think it's important to know that kind of our bodies are doing the best that they can and they're providing enough dehydration and babies they might be a little bit kind of more restless because of the heat but they should still be taking enough milk um, signs of dehydration that we, when we start to get concerned would be if the fontanelle so the soft spot at the head if that was depressed that's a sign of mild dehydration um, or if the mouth is really dry if they're crying but not making any tears that's a worry if the nappies stop becoming wet you know, they're decreasing the amount of urine that they're making, that's a worry. And if they start working harder to breathe, that, that's another sign that we'll look out for. So anything like that would need to go and get some medical help. But again, you know, if we're offering it and if it's there, you know, it, ho- hopefully they are taking enough. You know, as like you say, as long as we're offering and sort of reminding them to drink regularly and, and you're continually offering the breast milk or the water, then okay. that's the best thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Fab. And also, I guess, just to add to to what you've already said, if baby is of weaning age and starting to take some solid food, there are quite a lot of wet foods as well that I would probably recommend adding into that, that weaning diet. So, you know, particularly things like watermelon or lots of those fruits and vegetables with a high water content. Um, if, you know, you're offering finger foods, they can be a great thing for little ones to, to chomp and chew on. And they will get some water from that as well if you're worried about them not drinking too much. But of course, that's that's if they're at the weaning age um fabulous and then um we've got another question here about rashes during the heat um and so one follower has said that her baby has um a small rash that comes up in the heat the rash disappears when she presses a glass on it so should she be worried about this are those sort of rashes during the heat and prickly heat is that something quite common that we see with babies and young children yeah, I mean, absolutely. Off, off the bat, I love that she's done the glass test because it's such a valuable thing to be able to to test a rash. And we'll talk about more about that in a minute. But essentially, yeah, it is really common for babies to come up in this kind of prickly heat rash. Um, it's normally the rash itself is the kind of small little bumps. Um, they can be almost raised spots. They could be a bit itchy or prickly for them as well because they're quite uncomfortable. Um, and they can be red. If the baby or child has got brown or black skin they can be a little bit less obvious to see but you still will see the raisedness of them so one great thing to know is it's yeah you can do the glass test but to know that it's probably environmentally related because we've had such hot weather so keeping them as cool as much as possible nice damp cloth on them and then when you're coming out of the bath or something like that make sure we're not rubbing that rash which is going to exacerbate it so just patting it dry or even just letting it air dry that'd be nice as well and then in the course of a couple of days that rash should go away my my youngest son harry suffers, suffers terribly with a heat rash um but it's just time that it takes and it will disappear. But again, back to that that rash and the fact that she'd done the glass test, it's wonderful. When that rash disappears or what I say blanche, you might say blanche, when it disappears, that's a really, really good sign. If that rash wasn't to disappear, if it's a non-blanching rash, then that's a real worry. And that's when people kind of think of meningitis. Mm. So that's why I say it's so wonderful that she's done that test. But anytime we've got a rash that doesn't disappear, that is concerning 
in terms of meningitis, though, that's often the first thing that people think of is the rash. But we know there's lots more to look for much earlier than that. So things like a stiff neck, really nasty headache or a dislike of bright lights, we're much more likely to see those types of signs before we see a rash. In fact, not everyone with meningitis gets that rash. But knowing how to do that test with, you know, applying some pressure from a glass and hoping to see that rash disappear, that's a, such a great tool that us as parents can have up our sleeve. But like I said, if the rash doesn't disappear, that's when we'll be getting some, some medical help. Brilliant. Okay, fab. Thank you, Sammy. That's that's really reassuring and, and good to know that those sort of prickly heat rashes are common because it's, it's scary, isn't it, when we talk about rashes and our little ones. So it's good to know that actually that's quite common, but always good to do the, the glass test and look out for those other symptoms as well, yeah. to be sure. Absolutely. But do you have any tips as to what we should do if our little one gets sand in their eyes? It can be really uncomfortable, can't it, and horrible for them. So what should we do if that happens to them on the beach? Firstly, stop their sibling from throwing the sand if you can, because <laughs> that's when it always happens to us. So that's number one, prevention. Um, but otherwise, what you want to do is obviously stay really calm, use your voice to reassure, wipe as much as you can out with like a clean towel or a cloth or something. If there's still stuff in there, you can get little ampules of sterile water to kind of almost irrigate or, or kind of cleanse out the eye that you can just drip in. So, you know, a little ampule of sterile water, so that's something you can buy from the pharmacy and most good first aid kits will have them as well. If you didn't have one of those to hand, I realise not everyone is like me, and um, you could just use a water bottle as well to kind of, kind of try to clean out that eye but hopefully you know that you have got most of it out with the with the towel and just have a look in there and see what it looks like and, and, and irrigate it out with some water if you need to brilliant thank you sammy and those um those little vials of of sterile water is something that you've got in your ouch pouches yes I believe. absolutely and because i use them all the time you know whether it's some dirt in the eye or um perfume in the eye that happened the week before last so it's just really even for cleaning out wounds they're good as well so that's something that's great to have kind of to hand to know it's just about knowing isn't it that if something was to happen you've got everything you need and, and, you, and you're prepared Absolutely. And those, those, like you say, those wounds and those grazes, you know, it's great to obviously stick a plaster on it, but you want to clean it first. So if you've got that to hand, then that's a great tool to use, isn't it? That's it. Yeah. Brilliant. Exactly. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Sammy. You've been through all of the questions from our followers. I just have one final closing question for you, if that's okay. And this is something that we are asking all our guests um, and not necessarily related to first aid, although it might be. But um, we would like to know, what did you want to be when you were growing up and how does this differ to what you do now, if it does indeed? Well, I actually always wanted to be a paramedic. I loved the kind of the lights and the fire and being there, the first one to help out. Uh, but at that time when I was doing, when I was in Australia doing my degree, you couldn't go straight into paramedics and I had to do nursing first. I thought, oh, nursing, ah. Oh. But I soon realised that it's, that's what I love is building up relationships with people and really taking the time to work out what their problems are so I soon scrapped the paramedics and, and stuck to nursing so not too far off what I wanted to be um 
but definitely when you're a nurse you're a nurse you're not a paramedic yeah (laughs) yeah oh you found your forte and we're very glad that you did because you've uh, definitely I've learned so much from you over the years we've spoken a few times and um all of your fabulous Instagram posts are always so helpful and so reassuring so for anybody who's not following you I highly recommend that they do um and Sammy would you like to tell us a little bit about where they can find you on Instagram and also maybe a bit more information about your brilliant ouch pouches um what they contain and where people can get them from yeah sure well the probably the best place to find me is on Instagram which is at happy hearts first aid and really that's that account is all just about making first aid not scary because it's hard to sell first aid to parents you know it's something that oh no but you know first aid can be really really interesting and there's so much that we can do so that's what that account focuses on and over the six years of teaching parents this stuff and looking after my three small children as well uh, I've developed these ouch pouches which is just essentially everything that you need in case of a medical emergency it doesn't look like a first aid kit because sometimes that's a bit confronting for parents so you know I think it's a pretty cute little pouch it's wipeable as well as I know you know I'm a parent so it needs to be wiper we'll get all that ice lolly off um, and there's things like in there like an instant ice pack you've got the sterile water ampules all the plasters of course there's stickers in there that's a really nice thing to kind of distract with there's a little sachet that you can use in the treatment of burns so it's just all the most practical stuff and they're on my website or you can get there via instagram as well super so useful thank you Sammy once again for all your reassurance and your knowledge it's been a pleasure to have you on our podcast today so thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time